All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to episode 153 of the DFO Rundown. I'm Jason Greger alongside Frank Saravalli. And uh, Frank, uh, we will have a Bill Scott. We're going to have a little uh, Capologist 101 today, uh, Assistant uh, General Manager of the Edmonton Orders. But it's not about Edmonton. It's more about the uh, salary cap, the fact that there's a boatload of teams that are going to start the uh, season in LTI, what that means, and, and how teams and their capologists are, are going to have to be really good money managers uh, before the season starts. So we'll get to uh, all of that. Uh, Frank had a big hockey game last night. So uh, priorities uh, couldn't do the interview. How'd the game go? Uh, You're here. So uh, I I see there's no, uh, there's no stitches. So that's good. Yeah, uh, I am here. It was actually not a game. We do a little skills clinic on Sunday nights for our kids. So uh, that's what tied me up last night. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing the interview with Bill Scott. It's the cap is so incredibly important with every single facet of today's game that, you know, you see teams that are really good at it and find different advantages that it really sets their team up for success throughout the year. Well, and this is the year I was, I think this might be the most teams to start a season in LTI that's, that's ever happened. And, you know, how how will that impact potential trades or lack thereof during the season? You know, a little bit less potential uh, cap flexibility. And and I think that's why we're, we're, we're seeing even more, more players, Frank, that are likely going to be signing PTOs because, you know, teams still want to make some trades, but until they can make trades, they can't really sign any of these guys. 
Yeah. I, I just, I still don't foresee a lot of trades taking place and it's interesting to watch teams attempt to spend some of that money now. Like, you know, you take a look at a team like the Montreal Canadians, for instance, and, and the LTIR juggling that they did this summer, they traded away Shea Weber's contract in order to get out of LTIR only for carry price to then basically, you know, they haven't full on said it, but it's not expected that carry price is going to resume his career at any point. So now they have an additional 10 and a half million dollars that they need to manage on LTIR. And so, you know, they've, they've gone about spending part of that money now, and they're going to try and get a capture as, as you mentioned, Bill, we'll talk about as close to 82 five as they can uh, to then utilize all 10 and a half of carry prices money. So it's a, uh, it's a delicate dance and it's, it's amazing to see this is the trickle down effect of the pandemic and, and the number of years now that we have in, in the flat cap or essentially flat that impacts the game so much. And, and, you know, we'll talk, uh, you know, additionally, and I, I teased and mentioned it a, a week ago on last week's pod, the big jump that we're going to have in a couple of years. Well, there's a number of people out there, team executives. I think some people at the NHL players association, some agents that would, instead of, you know, now knowing that we're essentially going to have a $9 million increase in a couple of years, once the uh, debt to owners is paid off, they'd like to see that smoothed out now. Like instead of doing one hop of 9 million bucks, let's do three straight years of $3 million increases so that teams that are up against it now can benefit instead of one large increase where you know, I can just see it now. Can't you, uh, a $9 million, like players should be timing their free agency for that spending spree that will take place. If that is indeed what happens. Dude, there'll be a lot of guys, uh, fist pumping like Jeff Skinner did, uh, with the, uh, the <laughs> Buffalo Sabres, right? What a like, pick, what a name for you. Like uh, it's the perfect guy. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's definitely uh, what could, could occur here in the future. And I, I wonder if there'll be an appetite. I'm sure there'll be, as you mentioned, Frank, that the teams that are up against it will be, Hey, let's get 3 million next year and you know three the year after. And then rather than wait a few years to, to get nine, all right. I, I'd, I'd be curious if, if there's an appetite for it, I could see other teams saying, no, no, we're actually in good cap situation. We don't need that. So, cause that gives us a, an advantage for the next two years. Yeah. And that's, it's interesting. It could go any which way I'd imagine that because this is the way the CBA was negotiated, that this is the way it's going to remain that, um, I don't see any change coming, but I could see someone making the case as to why it would make sense. And I could also see, you know, a number of, of teams sort of not being able to control themselves when that $9 million increase pops in. Yeah. Um, Big announcement today. Not, not a huge surprise. Uh, in, I know, Frank, you, you had uh, mentioned this to me a while back, but uh, Nick Suzuki is now the uh, captain of the Montreal Canadiens. And man, this is, you know, Nick Suzuki's played 209 NHL games, right? Uh, he's, you know, he's been a productive player in his career thus far, but man, that is a lot of pressure in that market in, in an organization that's, I wouldn't say they're rebuilding. They're definitely retooling. As you mentioned, you know, Carey Price is gone. Shea Weber, uh, they moved him, his contract out. Like that, a really disappointing season last year. That's that. That's a lot to ask for a young player like Nick Suzuki, who you know is what is he? Twenty three years of age. 
Yeah, he's 23. I think he's well suited to handle it. He's also going to be around for a long time, signed through 2030, the longest uh, tenure track player on the team. If you take a look at their their contract list and, and some of the guys that will be around for a long time. And I also think the Canadians and Marty St. Louis have gotten a real chance to know him um, and, and to see that he's has a unique temperament that I think, you know, with his sort of calm nature is going to be able to, to manage this in, in a hockey mad market like Montreal. So I think Suzuki is, is a great choice. Um, I, you know, in some ways I was thinking that, um, you know, Brendan Gallagher, who of course wears an A, uh, would be a great choice as well. Just, just based on style of play. Like he's one of those guys that's always dragging his team into the fight. I think Suzuki has a lot more room in his game to grow. Like you've seen the progression and path that he's taken, you know, breaking the 60 point barrier and, and continuing to progress as their number one center that, you know, I think he's in a great spot to keep growing. Um, but you're right. It's, it's just different in Montreal. They look at you uh, in that market a bit differently, but I think um, they also gave him the opportunity to think about it this summer. I, I thought they were going to do this at the draft. Uh, I know that they flew his family in for the draft in Montreal. And I think they were going to make a big scene of it. And I think instead what happened was they, they basically gave him the idea of this and said, why don't you take it back and think about it? Make sure that this is what you really want. And I don't know. He, he didn't say no. Well, I can understand. Of course. I think it's everybody's dream. You always want to be the captain, right? Um, I just, not everybody's dream. Well, that's true. That's fair. But a lot of players would, you know, feel, Hey, I'm up for this and stuff. And it would, I'd like to know, and maybe it's happened. How many players, if someone asked them, would you want to be captain have said no? Like, I'm sure there's some, but I bet you it's a pretty short list. Yeah, I agree. Right. So how do you come back from that? What do they think of you if you say no? Right. Exactly. And so I just, I think some, like it's a lot of added pressure, especially in that market. You know what, maybe he's perfectly uh, capable of handling it. You mentioned Brendan Gallagher. He, you know, just because you wear the C doesn't mean you're the only leader on the team. Obviously it just, it, there is added responsibility to it. And Hey, well, uh, you know what, maybe Nick Suzuki uh, turns out to be a, to, to be a great choice. It's just entering now his fourth NHL season. You know what, uh, now he's got that way big contract now around him. So that's just a lot of added pressure for a young player all at once. You get the massive deal that kicks in and you have the C. Yeah, I think he'll be fine. He's in good shape. He, he, he's, he's got that. I mentioned it unique personality. He's, he's not overexcited. He's, he's generally pretty calm by nature and, you know, he's going to have a good support group. Brendan Gallagher has been there forever in that market and understands it. Um, you know, he, he can lean on some other guys that he's played with previously. He can lean on, even though he's not going to be there every day, have a conversation with Carrie price, whoever was the captain, Shea Weber, whoever Carrie price in a lot of ways was the de facto captain of the team that I think a lot of people relied on for advice and insight and, and how to handle that market. And he can still continue to do that with Carrie price. Uh, we're seeing more PTOs, Frank, uh, around the NHL. I have count about uh, 12, what I would call veteran NHL players. You know, some guys with a lot of games played like Eric Stahl. We knew this for a while is in Florida, James Neal's in Columbus. Uh, Cody Eakin goes to, uh, to Calgary, uh, Calvin DeHaan and uh, Calvin DeHaan and Derek Stepan in, in Carolina. Like, man, Carolina's defense is pretty deep, right? Uh, you know, Calvin DeHaan, obviously he must've liked the conversation they had with him there, but uh, I thought he's 
still a pretty good defenseman like that. If they, if they get him on a bargain basement deal, that could be a really good signing again for them. Uh, what do you make of the Kaiser into Vancouver? How much do you think he's got left? Well, that's, that's what I want to see is like take him away from that contract and the expectations. Um, you know, what's his health like? Is he able to stay on the ice? Like that's really been a big detriment to his career over the last number of years. Um, I, I personally wasn't sure how much he had left, but I'm, I'm intrigued to see because if, if Vancouver can find someone um, to, you know, even at seven fifty or whatever it costs you, um, you know, they just, they need bodies. They really do. They really need bodies on the right side. And so the Kaiser being on the left is, is not exactly a, a textbook fit, but an additional veteran presence for someone to rely on. I, I don't, I don't know that you can go wrong if he has enough game left. Tyler Mott uh, is a player. Man, Vancouver traded him at the deadline because they thought they mm-hmm. wouldn't be able to resign him. He'd be too expensive. He goes to New York. They get a pick for him. And, and here we are. It's September 12th. And he still hasn't uh, signed a contract. Did that surprise you? Um, it doesn't. It doesn't. He, I think he's asking for a lot. I don't know what exactly the ask is at this point, I think it changes over the course of the summer as you get this late. But I think around this time last year, he was asking, you know, somewhere around one seven five on an extension. And that continued all the way through until, um, until the trade deadline, when they ended up moving him on deadline day to the Rangers. And, uh, you know, he's expensive. I think a lot of teams view him as expensive for the type of point production that he provides. But I think when you look at someone like Tyler Mott, the big thing is going back to Vancouver, he drove the production from the other players that were on his line. He was the guy, if you look at the the numbers of his line mates after Tyler Mott left Vancouver, they cratered. And that was a big, I think, feather in his cap. He's got sandpaper. He's got grit. Um, I think Tyler Mott has a lot to offer. It's just what price is he going to come in at? And teams really struggle paying that type of money to guys that are bottom six forwards. Well, especially in a flat cap, right? Frank, uh, uh, those depth guys, he's the exact guy that's getting squeezed, right? Yes, totally. So I I look and I wonder, basically we're a week away, right? Of course, uh, players have to report for medicals on the 21st, but, and then they're on the ice on the 22nd, but you look at veterans, you, you basically got a week cause you got to fly in. You got to get to that city. You know, you got to get a couple of your medical, yeah. yeah, do your medical on the 21st. And so I think you're going to see a lot. I know teams have, have uh, submitted a fair amount of PTO offers to players. It's just a matter mm-hmm. of, you know, whether or not they'll sign them. All right. Jake Vertanen, uh, the owners have, have offered him a PTO, um, you know, they're expecting to hear a yay or a nay. Uh, Zach Aston Reese uh, had been offered one. He signed in Toronto. And I think that's a really, you know what? There's a guy, you talk about a bottom six player who, who does a really good job of not getting scored on, mm-hmm. which is a pretty important job. Like uh, he's a player that I think he's, he's a PTO. Obviously I look at Toronto's bottom six and I think they feel like he could really fit in there. It's just a matter of, I'm kind of surprised they didn't sign him to be honest. Right. I think maybe it's a matter of money or he thinks, Hey, I go to training camp and preseason and someone around the league is going to like me like Chris Versteeg. Cause just cause you sign a PTO with the one team doesn't mean you have to sign there. But I think Aston Reese is, is a very quiet, good PTO who could turn out to be a really good depth signing for the Maple Leafs if they get him. 
Yeah, I think Aston Reese was really interested in going to the New Jersey Devils. He's a New Jersey kid, and I think they just weren't able to make the room for him. Um, and so I think he kind of hung around most of the summer thinking or hoping that he might land there. I think there was some initial interest from the Maple Leafs on July 13th when free agency opened. I think there were five or six teams that had been in the mix to get a deal done, and he was uh, really interested in in going to the Devils. So um, it didn't work out, and, and now here he is. It's a lot of competition there in Toronto, and I wonder when you look at so many guys in on bargain contracts that are fighting for those last few spots in the lineup, sometimes players shy away from that, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, they're like, I, I'd rather go to a spot where I have a really good shot at a team or the math looks really good or, you know, whatever it is, they've, they've got a ton of guys right in that mix, you know, 750 grand that are, that are clawing for jobs, Adam Gaudet, Kyle Clifford, Joey Anderson. I mean, it's a whole mix of guys. Yeah. I think Reese just offers more. And I think maybe that's, you, you, you got some confidence for him. He feels like, Hey, I can come here. I can win a job on this team. And it's a competitive. I want a guy that does that. 100%. I don't want a guy that's saying, I, I want guaranteed power play time as he's going through the free agent. You got to come in and earn it. Well, and another guy like that, Frank, I keep hearing is, is PK Subban who, who wants to go to a competitive team and, and he's willing to even to start battling, you know, like for six, seven and eight, if that's what it's got to be to start on a team. And, and I'm curious if he gets a deal or if that's a guy who's going to also be on a PTO here within the next six days. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he's willing to take a PTO, is he? Be interesting. Yeah. Well, you know what, Frankie? <laughs> out of sight, out of mind. And if all of a sudden you're coming off a tough year, now you don't go to training camp. How do you play? You know, what do you do? Do you sit and wait for an injury? Hey, you, you're probably better off to go to a PTO and get in some games and say, hey, here I am. This is the, these are the things I've worked on all summer long. I, I think I'm an improved player. So my, I agree with you that if it's not ideal, but it might be the only choice for some veterans as we, as we get closer. Like I do think. Um, what, at what guy, point does he just jump in and say, I'm going to do the broadcasting full time? I know I that's always going to be there waiting for him, but. Yeah. Is he ready for that though? Like I, I've been told by many people, PK Subban, really wants to show he can still play in the national hockey league. Yeah. I think that's, that's his focus. So um, do you, he doesn't need the money. So whether it's a PTO or a, or a minimum seven fifty, right. Cause a PTO could lead to the minimum seven fifty either way. So I, I'd be surprised if he didn't go to camp for some team. There's still some other vets that we've known and have been around the league for a long time that are looking for deals. Um, you know, I'm still surprised at this point, Evan Rodriguez, 19 goals, 43 points. What happened there? Obviously the agent change on July 12th, I think, I don't know if it scared any team off, but it, I think it certainly made them stop and think um, what was the story behind that. And then now all the cap space is eaten up. Sonny Milano is still out there, of course, uh, previously of the Anaheim ducks. Um, and then some of the other vets that are looking for deals, you know, Tyler Ennis, 57 games, 24 points last year, limited ice time. You know, you can, hasn't, hasn't had any bites um, uh, as of last week. So, but he, he's the perfect guide. If you're going to, you know, seven fifty eight hundred to pencil in at the bottom of your lineup, like he, he produces, he just does. 
Yeah, it's a fair point. Yeah, right. I I think there's another. He's another guy who's a prime PTO candidate, right? And he's done a PTO before, so it wouldn't uh, it wouldn't shock me uh, whatsoever. Um, I, I do. Who was really good in the playoffs that I really enjoyed watching? That he, he's hanging around with Calgary again, and probably my guess will end up going there on some kind of minimum deal like he did last year. I thought Michael Stone was really versatile for for Calgary. Just watching them in the playoffs, like I think he gave them a a shot in the arm that, you know, they had some injuries. He was able to play a couple different positions, got some power play. Like I, I just enjoyed watching him five points in nine games in the playoffs. I thought he had a lot left depth, right shot defenseman, Frank, they're like unicorns. So you're, he's a guy that Vancouver should be all over. I know that he's a bit of a power play specialist, but like they need right shot guys. Like you need someone to plug into your lineup. No. I also wonder about a, a veteran player like a Chris Russell, who all, all, you know, you know exactly what you get every time from him. And uh, you know, he's a number seven, ideally because he can play both sides, right? He's very specific. You, he's a guy who kills penalties and that's what he does. Um, and I, I think there's another veteran that likely will find himself on a PTO here in the next week. Yep. Uh, Derek Broussard, another guy that was ended up in Edmonton last year and didn't see much ice time, but Broussard is out there, um, you know, go through the list. Antoine Roussel, uh, Victor Rask had 21 points last year in just 47 games. I know that was a, a tough trade uh, last year going from Minnesota to Seattle, but he still ended up fine and, and, and played some time in the AHL as well. He's a guy that was making 4 million bucks. Like he, he yeah. had 750, 800, a million bucks. Like he, he should be able to play up to that level. Well, that's where I, I just, it illustrates the fact that all these guys are unsigned, Frank, because so many teams are already over LTI. So mm-hmm. uh, I think that definitely plays a factor. Let's bring in uh, Tyler Uremchuk. We're going to have a uh, Bill Scott joining us for uh, capologist one-on-one coming up uh, very soon as well. What's up guys. It's time for another edition of buy or sell delivered by our friends at DoorDash. Promo code DFO or rundown DD gets you 25% off and no delivery fees on your first order. I've been reading that for about a year and a half and I still mess it up pretty consistently. Uh, Today, you know me, I'm a bit of a gambling man and I was over at Points Bet Canada and I noticed that they have some early odds up for the four big NHL awards the Rocket Richard, Hart Trophy, Vesna, and Norris. So here's how buy or sell is going to work today. I'm going to tell you who Points Bet has as the favorite. You can either buy or sell, agree or disagree on them being the favorite, but I'm not going to make it just that easy for you. If you buy and you agree, I want to know who you think is maybe a good sleeper candidate for that award. Someone lower down the odds board who you're keeping an eye on. And if you sell, I want to know who you actually think should be the favorite. So we're going to start with the big one, the Hart Trophy. Points Bet Canada has Connor McDavid as the big favorite, plus 225 to win the Hart. Frank, you buying or selling on that? buying i mean how could you not yeah i have a hard time betting against Connor mcdavid at any point anywhere ever so give me someone maybe a little lower down who you think is like yeah i think they could have a good heart trophy case this year they could have a good season hmm um Kirill Kaprizov. That was a name that actually stood out to me. He comes in at 14 to one. Jay, he, he made my list. He made my top yeah. five last year. So yeah, he was in the mix for a good portion of last season as like a top three guy as well. Uh, Jay, buy or sell on McDavid. That's hard to 
to sell on that. The I'll buy as well, because you look at McDavid, he just set a career high in points, despite having the lowest on ice shooting percentage of his career, as well as his own personal lowest five on five shooting percentage over the last five years by like 4%. Like usually he's around 14. That's what his average was in the first six years. He was at 10 last year. I think Kane's going to help his on ice shooting percentage because he's a better finisher. So uh, I think he might be a 130 point player. You're a 130 point player. You're pretty much locking in that you're going to, you're going to win the, the, the heart. Um, but uh, Kaprizov is a very good pick as an alternative choice. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, like, Hey, Austin Matthews still scores goals at a ridiculous rate. And when you score goals, you get people's attention. It's, it's hard. It's hard to count out Matthews because he could easily score 60 again. Does that, does that count as lower down the board, taking the reigning heart winner? Well, it's not first nice. on the board, so I mean, technically, it's, yeah, it's lower. lower, technically. <laughs> but yeah, how low on the board do you you're want me? Really, like, I, I know you're digging deep there, Jay. Well, how, how low do you want me to go uh, on the board? Sixty I, goal scorer that won the award last yeah. year. I, I know, here's go. one. What about twenty to one Igor Shesterkin? I know we, there was it was a big nah. debate last year, but if his numbers were to like let's say get better this season, he could have a pretty interesting hard trophy case, especially if the Rangers like win the East or something like that in the regular season. Yeah, I'll depend. Like to me, for a goalie to win the heart, you got to play a lot of games. And I'm not sure the Rangers, if they're like, I just don't know if teams are going to have, like, when Dominic Kassik was winning the heart, the guy was playing 67, 73 70 games. games yeah. Right. So I just don't think a goalie c- can play enough games to win the heart. Yeah. Kill McCarr. He'd be interesting. He's a little bit lower than the 20 to one mark that uh, Shesterkin was, but that's, I mean, he's another guy too. I'm just trying to think of other names that might. I was going to say Nathan McKinnon actually, because it's the last year of his deal. And uh, maybe he'll try to go out on a, on a big note before he gets this huge contract. Are you surprised that he hasn't signed an extension already? I am. Do you think a part uh, of that though could be they're waiting for clarity on if the cap will go up, like you talked about earlier, Frank? Could it go up maybe a little bit next summer and that'll change? Nope. <laughs> because, it, I mean, it's, the CBA is contractually written. Like we already know that they need to hit a certain revenue threshold for it to go up 1 million. It doesn't contemplate any increase further than that. So Sackick rarely moves overly quick and usually it works out. So to me, you have until what June 30th to sign Nathan McKinnon. There's lots of time. Everything that I heard heading into the summer was Nathan McKinnon is signing a record contract. He's topping McDavid. Interesting. Yeah, well, hmm. that'll be a big step up from the bargain. He's was it 13 or 15? That was really the question. Wow. Interesting. Is he worth it? I mean, you can't let him walk, right? Like it's almost one of those players where you just have to give him to some extent a blank check. Don't you? Is he worth it? I think he is. is. 13 mil. McDavid, you could make the argument is worth 20. Yeah. So how far down is McKinnon? Like you need to readjust. Think about how long ago McDavid signed the deal. Yeah. Four years. Yeah. All right. It's a long time. I'm uh, moving on to our next award. Cap hasn't gone up much though. <laughs> it will. They, everyone knows it is. That's the yeah, thing. That's so the he's, thing. Fair. They're in big trouble. Kale McCarr is the runaway favorite for the Norris trophy. He comes in at plus plus one fifty, with second on the board being down at six and a half to one. So Jason, you buying or selling on Kale McCarr as the runaway Norris Trophy favorite? 
God, it's hard not to. Like, yeah, he's so excited of a player, right? Like, him in those eagle turns and how he accelerates through an eagle turn. It's ridiculous. But, um, so, yeah, I, I kind of have to buy for him. I sound, might sound crazy, but I might even buy more on him than I would McDavid at the heart. And I really like McDavid as the heart. But I, I just think Kale McCarr, what he did last year, kind of the only thing that stops him from winning is an injury. Yeah. I'll say that. Fair the only enough. thing I think that can stop him from winning. But if, if I was picking, um, someone else i would go roman Yossi. i'm gonna go with uh maurice cider i think most cider will if if he continues to develop he'll get a lot of votes that was gonna be my lower down the board pick he's 25 to 1 there's a whole group Not low enough for you frank <laughs> well it's pretty low considering he was 46 points back of roman yossi that's a lot of ground to make up and i know it's not all about points but he was 19th among defensemen last year. That's a big jump. Uh, he still had just a damn good year for a rookie. And if he takes, oh, it, it was, like, it was incredible. And I'm interested to see what the next step is. I, yeah. I just, I like all the other components. I just, he's not anywhere near, he doesn't get anywhere near the, the points. And I think really importantly, the style points of Makar. Fair enough. No. So you're buying on, McCarr, I'll right? give you a name though. I'll buy on Makar, but I'll give you my guy, Aaron Eckblad. Hmm. Without Mackenzie Weger. Yep. It's 12 to one on the odds board. So not that far. I would say, yep. well, I mean, look at Look at his year before he went out. And I know a lot of people are curious to see what the Panthers are going to be like with all the changes they made, but 57 points in 61 games hmm. before going down with that injury. He's yep. playing 25 minutes a night. There was only a couple people in that category. Yeah. Fair enough. Third one we got is the Vesna Trophy, where the reigning winner, Igor Shesterkin, is the favorite at plus 250. Frank, you're buying or selling on Igor as the favorite to win the Vesna. And, you know, same rules. If you're buying, give me someone lower down the board. If you're selling, who do you think it should be? I'm going to sell. And it's not because I don't like Igor Shesterkin. I love him. Um, I just think it's so incredibly difficult for a goaltender to replicate his success year in and year out. Um, the Rangers also have a different feel. Now they're dealing with expectations. They're expected to be among the top class of the league. Now having gotten to the final four. And I think that's really hard to do. Uh, the guy that I am going to pick is it's hard to go against Vasilevsky, but I'm going to go with UC Saros. Plus he's 10 to one plus 1000. So a decent pick down the board there, Frank or Jason, what do you got? I will sell for the same reasons Frank said, and I'm going to go with a wild card in Jake Ottinger. Oh, that's a good one. I like that 18 to one. He's almost in a way like a similar trajectory to Shesterkin, right? Is coming off a good year. And if he takes a step forward, he's going to be a top tier goalie in the NHL. So Andre at 18 to one, that's the second time in a row we've agreed on uh, our lower down pick, Jason. Uh, We're going to wrap it up with the Rocket Richard trophy. As you can guess, Austin Matthews plus 200. That's one of those things I look at and I kind of just go, it feels like free money to me. Like he's probably going to score 55 to 60 goals again, but Jay, you buying or selling on Matthews is the favorite to win the rocket. Yeah. Like Makar, I think the the only thing that derails him is an injury. Uh, I'm just not sure. Like I I don't see Chris Kreider coming close. I think Leon Dreisaitl can score 50 goals again, Um, but I don't know if he can get to 60. So 
it, I, I will buy on Matthews is the art. I think he's, he's kind of like uh like Ovechkin, but I, you know what? I'll still go with the wild, the, the Ovi. He's, he's my best guess as a wild card. The one guy who's capable of scoring 60 and, and almost a lock to score 50 is Ovi. I know he's not overly far down the list, but at his age, that would still be a pretty big accomplishment. So I'll go with the grade eight. Fourth on the board at nine to one is Alex Ovechkin. Frank. I don't think Ovi hits 50 again. Really? I don't know. I mean, it's hard to bet against him, but at some point the age curve catches up, right? It has to. Um, so go with Matthews. I, I made the bet last year. Um, and the only thing that makes me nervous is exactly what we just talked about is, is the health. You know, he had some significant health issues two seasons ago, missed nine games last year and still finished five clear of everyone. So, um, that's the only thing holding you up from making the bet. Yeah, fair enough. Two to one right now. Uh, how about this for, for a lower down option? 13 to one. He almost had 50 last year. Kyle Connor. If the Jets have a bit of a better season, maybe he can get another six to seven goals in there. Maybe 54 is enough to win it. 13 to one. Ah. No bites, no bites on my Kyle Connor. I, I like Kyle Connor, man. He might be the quiet. He might be the most overlooked steady goal scorer in the league. Yes. Yeah. I mean, him, David Pasternak's a guy I'd throw into that category as well. Although I don't know if Pasternak's a reigning lady Bing winner, Kyle Connor, yeah. four penalty minutes last year. Insane. That is wild. All right. That's going to be a wrap for another edition of buy or sell delivered by DoorDash. Jason, can we talk and Tyler, hopefully you can stay on for this. Okay. We saw on your Instagram last week, you were at a charity golf outing. Can we just talk about the pants that you were wearing? <laughs> My green ones? Yes. They match the glasses. Okay. Buddy. That, you know what? Did you see that my glasses and pants and I actually had a, a shirt that had a little bit of green in that matched. It was, stellar. I don't know that you should be cheering or celebrating or patting yourself. Dude, you know how many people came up to me and said, you're the best dressed guy on the course. Hey, do you know how many of them? I've, I've had those pants for a long time <laughs> and people with no fashion sense can't handle it. Like that can't be my concern. I can't worry about that sort of thing. No, I mean, you can't, but when you show up to the course looking like you just went on a rager at an Avicii concert and did nine pounds of Coke, like that's, <laughs> that's, uh, that's what you showed it's up flashy. looking like. Hey buddy, RIP to Avicii, but Hey buddy, I got him on, I got him uh, on a lot of my, um, uh, Downloaded music. I love it. So if, if you, if you just have not seen it, go to Jason's Instagram page and leave us a comment. Were we right or were we wrong? What is your take on Jason's style on the course? Neon green golf pants. He's, he's never, you're never afraid to afraid to be flashy Jay. And I, I respect it. I think it's good. I think if you can I've had buy those pants for, for years, right? I've had those pants Jason W Gregor yeah. on Instagram, check him out, give him a follow and give him a comment on the pants. Yeah. Trust right. me. Sick. You, your yeah. eyes will never be the same. It's, it's <laughs> true. Right. You know what? Everybody wishes they could find a pair like that. Hard to find. Hard to find Galvin green. They, they, they don't, they don't make them in, uh, in, in size 40 because, uh, <laughs> they would just, just look like a neon blimp. You know what? It's been so hot this summer. That was the first time I wore pants all year golfing. So is it getting cool up there? Ah, uh, well, it was cooler that day, like 16. It was supposed to rain, but, um, yeah, no, this week it's back up into the twenties again. So yeah, it's remember that. 20s, I don't even know what 20 is in Fahrenheit. Like it's so 70, 20 is 70. 70 is 20. All right. Yeah. yeah. 70 is perfect for golf for me. Oh, it's the best ever. But, um, so, so one cultural thing before we get to, uh, to Bill Scott, what's it been like? I, I've been glued to my TV watching coverage of the queen's death 
What's it been like in Her Majesty's Canada? Yeah, I'm probably not the right guy to ask. I'm not a, I'm not a big follower of that. Uh, and, and the funny thing, like I'm a big believer in, in certain traditions. I, I just don't know about this one. If you want to go way back into it, colonialism, we could have a whole conversation. No, I don't, I don't want to do that. Yeah, I just want to ask I, what it's like, been like. It doesn't, since the queen died. it doesn't do much to, for me. Like she, I'll say this. She was a great lady. She had an unbelievable life. Like, Oh my goodness, 96 years. It's amazing. But I do think that her passing is really going to open up conversations of people saying, okay, in 2022, does Canada really need to have the same connection that they've always had with it? So, um, I like it. I mean, I'm not uh, from Canada, but I like the idea of it. You do. Yeah. I just, I don't, it's, it goes back a long way and it just, I don't know. It seems kind of cool. It's, it's something that was obviously something we don't have. Yeah. Well, that's fair. Yeah. To me, it doesn't, it's not like she's very obviously a a figurehead and there's no real, you know, Canada is basically self-governing, but I don't know. I mean, I just, I think it's neat. Yeah. Like I, I guess I just don't, I'd have to really, I'm probably not educated as much as I should be about it. So that's probably my own ignorance to, to be honest is I don't like, maybe there's more to it that they do that. I know that they donate a lot to charity. I understand that. But other than that, I'm like, what does it really do? And maybe it doesn't do anything good or bad. So to change it wouldn't matter. Right. Um, well, I think that's the point is it doesn't really interfere much at all. Yeah. So like, I just like things that I could couldn't care less about the Royal family, like that type of drama, man. Like, like I know the Brits love it. Like their paper is so salacious. Like any little tidbit of stuff, like, man, I feel for Meghan Markle's and, and and Harry and them. And like, you look, there's a little bit of a change, Frank, that we've never really seen. Like there's never been a member of the Royal family who kind of steps out and says, you know what? I'm out. So it's, uh, it's kind of unique, but she did have an amazing, like I was reading a lot of the tributes and a lot of the places she was and things she did like 70 years as the head of state. Like that is, that's never going to be matched. Right. Like you just think about it. Like Charles now takes over as the King. Well, he's obviously not going 70 years, right? His son won't go 70 years. Like it, you, you, a lot of things have to align. A, you have to have to get in power at a young age due to an early death of your parent. And then you have to live a long life. Like what an amazing life she lived though. I, yeah. I will say that. Uh, but I, I just, I like the idea of it. Almost every monarchy in the world, there's only a few left that where it really matters, but they're, they're basically popular sovereigns. Like they don't have any real powers. King of Sweden. I didn't even, like I stopped in Belgium uh, a few weeks back on my way to Italy. I didn't even know Belgium had a King, but they do like, I, I just, I enjoy reading about it, learning about it, the Royal family and seeing how it operates and seeing the interaction with the politicians. It just, I don't know. It, it fascinates me and just the history of it and to see all that changed during Queen Elizabeth's reign from, you know, not, you know, basically newspapers ruling the world to then, you know, launching into radio, then TV, then finally social media and seeing the country change and adapt and the kingdom and, and all these different, you know, properties and territories of the kingdom falling off. It just, I don't know. It, it, uh, I enjoy it. So 
I enjoyed the crown. Uh, I, I loved the crown on Netflix. Oh, see, I haven't watched it. So you, got, like so said, you should watch the crown. Like it, yeah, it, it might change I'm your just, perspective. Yeah. It's the one thing I like, I get interested in a lot of unique things, but yeah, the monarchy just was never, okay. it's never really been one. Like, I don't know why, maybe I should, maybe I should educate myself more on it. I just haven't found the, uh, I haven't found a stepping off point that makes me want to say, Hey, I got to I got to get more interested in this. I just, I don't really see the point in it. It just, it high, I don't know, like to think that, to, to think how it blows your mind to sit back and think about how, you know, how we end up coming into this world and one person being born into this family gives oh. you this type of life. And, and if you're born somewhere else to someone else, well, yes, your lot in life is so totally different. How that happens, how, what you end up becoming, it's, that's, what's crazy to think about. Now that I would agree with you wholeheartedly. You look at, you know, I look at my life, Frank, I felt like I won the lottery being born, being born in just being born into a loving household gives you such a massive advantage. Yep. Now, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you have a household that's, you know, even middle-class and your parents can, you know, give you education, well, that, you know, gives you a huge advantage. Like for me, where I was born in, um, in Canada, in my place to my family, felt like I won the lottery. When I look around to kids that are born in different situations that they have nothing that they did nothing wrong. They were just born. No. And, and some places you, you're born well behind the eight ball and, and other places you're born with a big benefit, uh, obviously not royalty benefit for me, but um, that would also, you know what? I don't know if I'd want to be a Royal at the end of the day, like to live in where, where you're everybody watches every action you do. Like, no, thanks. I, I don't, I don't think it would be, yeah. People look at the finances of it. I look at the privacy factor and being able to, I got to do a lot of stupid shit, Frank, in my life <laughs> that like, let's be, and, and nothing illegal or nothing crazy, just stuff that out of sight, out of mind. And and I yeah. think that's, that's something that you never get in that. Like you're born into it. You're a kid and you know, they're watching you everywhere you go. Like, no, thanks. It's not easy. No, I mean, it's, it's a, you were handed a golden spoon, but definitely not an easy life. Um, that's, uh, I just, I just was curious on the Canadian perspective living in the U S I, I wondered what it was like for people in Canada. Yeah. I, well, yeah, I bet you everybody had, you know what, there's lots of people that have different looks at it for sure. Yeah. Uh, Frank, we had uh, Bill Scott who is uh, assistant general manager and the uh, resident capologist. The others, uh, he joins us. We're going to go in capologist one-on-one because there's a lots of teams in similar boats. They're going to start the season in LTI. What does that mean for your team? Find out now with Bill. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We are joined today by Assistant General Manager of the Edmonton Orders. Also, he is the, the resident capologist, Bill Scott, joins us on the DFO Rundown. Bill, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Jason. Uh, Bill, we're, we're going to get into to capologist, kind of like uh, capologist 101 uh, a mm-hmm. little bit today, because uh, this year is shaping up to be a lot different uh, than other years from a cap perspective anyway. But I kind of want to go a, a quick little uh, history for you to kind of, you know, what got you to this point and, you know, being an assistant GM, but also kind of, you know, how'd you, how'd you get in line to be the capologist? Uh, a lot of luck and probably timing and everything else. But uh, yeah, you know, I joined the Oilers in 2010. Uh, I was hired by Steve Tambellini uh, as a general manager in Oklahoma City for the farm team there uh, and was there for about four years managing that team on a daily basis. Uh, and then Craig McTavish uh, became GM here in Edmonton and we had had a good relationship. And he gave me a call one day and said, uh, would you like to come up to Edmonton and, and be our assistant general manager and take over some contracts and and the cap and and kind of all the CBA administrative side of it? and uh, and continue to do some stuff in the minor leagues and the american league uh and go from there so uh i've been fortunate enough to work for for tamby for mac t and and uh, peter shirelli and and now ken holland so uh it's been a bit of a whirlwind over that amount of time few too many general managers but all great people and and great people to work for and learn from how different is it working from one gm to the next yeah, you know what? It's it's interesting because they've all got different styles. Um, but I think I've taken a lot from from every one of them. Um, Tambi Tambi was obviously the person that hired me and got me into the NHL. Uh, so I'll forever indebted into him. He was just a first class guy uh, all the way. Anything you needed, he would take care of, um, and and really just kind of showed you a way to treat people. And uh, and and he had, obviously had patience. And uh, and was here at a obviously a turning time in the organization. We were going younger, uh, and and kind of laying the groundwork for what was hoped to be in a quick rebuild. Uh, but he was first class guy. And then Mac T, obviously everybody in Edmonton knows Mac T well uh, for his long career there. But Mac T was all about the team, um, all about family, people. Um, and it just instilled a lot of confidence in you and, and brought a lot of energy to the office every day, uh, and had a great work ethic too. So worked with him a lot closer, um, since I was in Edmonton with him, uh, whereas with Tampa, I'd been in Oklahoma city. So we worked at arm's length and worked a lot with Ricky O at that time, uh, when I was in Oak city and then Peter Shirelli, much different background, obviously than those two. Uh, lawyer background. Uh, he had been an agent, obviously a uh, great track record in Boston uh, and Ottawa. Uh, and, and he was um, much different than the, than uh, the Mac T and Tamby uh, very, very highly organized. And that's not to say that, that the other guys weren't, um, but he was very dialed in on the finance side, on the budget side, on the CBA side, 
Um, cause really that was his background. He had done a lot of the jobs that, that I was doing, uh, at the time. So he better prepared me, I think going into budget meetings, uh, into arbitration cases into into prepping for contracts, uh, for me personally, he gave me a great background, uh, on that side of things. Uh, and then obviously we had a quick transition with Keith Gretzky, uh, as our interim GM, uh, Keith and I have a great relationship, worked together for a number of years now, uh, and then into Ken Holland. And, and I didn't know, I knew of Ken when he came in, I didn't know him personally, uh, but he's come in and obviously with his wealth of knowledge uh, and his career uh, has really come in and, and brought a lot of these different things together. A lot of these traits that the other general managers had. Um, and, and really he's all about relationships. He's all about communication. Um, he gives everyone a platform to speak. It doesn't matter where you are in the organization. Um, you know, he, he makes everybody feel very valued and, uh, and, and really, I think one of his greatest strengths is really just bringing people together, uh, whether that's the players on the ice, the coaching staff, the trainers our scouts. Um, and he's just got that. Uh, that way that people gravitate towards him and uh, and and kind of want to run through a wall for him. So um, he's been terrific as well. And I've been lucky to work for really good people. Bill, for, for a lot of people, you know, if, if you're an ex-player, there, there's an advantage, whether you want to be a coach or you know maybe maybe a GM or, or even getting into player development, what have you. You know, if you're not a, an NHL player, there, I think it's maybe a little bit more of a grind and, and, and a lot. So for some of our audience members who, you know, who obviously don't play in the NHL, but are like, you know what, I'd like to get into to management maybe in the NHL. What's the best way to go about getting in? Yeah, I don't think there's one specific way to do it other than than really find any opportunity that you have and and take it and don't worry about the pay, don't worry about the position and and grind away. Um, I knew, you know, in high school, uh, I re- quickly realized I was never going to play in the NHL. I wasn't a good enough hockey player. I played hockey all my life, but wasn't good enough to play at that level. Um, so I did, you know, in, just in high school, I did a co-op for a local junior A team, the Stouffville Spirit back in Ontario. From there, I went to Michigan State University. I worked for the hockey team at Michigan State. We had a great Michigan State had a, a really good D1 program at the time always in the hunt for a national championship. And I said, when I went to college, I want to get something on my resume that when I leave college, it might give me a leg up on a job. Um, and when I left college, uh, I got an internship with the Nashville Predators. They were still relatively new into the league at that time uh, and worked for the Nashville Predators in their hockey operations department for for a few months. Uh, and I got that internship. I, I mailed 50 resumes out to people that I had heard of or had some connection with in the National Hockey League. And two or three people got back to me. Cliff Fletcher was the general manager in Arizona at the time. I called, said, I got your letter, uh, but unfortunately, we don't have a position. Um, and David Poyle was one of them. And he said, we've just started an internship program. We're just going through our first person. Uh, if you'd like to be the second person to go through it, I'll put you in touch with, uh, with our contact there and the person that manages it. Um, ironically enough, one of the rejection letters I got was from Ken Holland. So I ended up showing that to him <laughs> a couple of years ago and said, well, we ended up getting to work together, uh, you know, 20 years down the road. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I ended up taking an internship with Nashville uh, unpaid internship, moved to Nashville and, uh, and it was there for a couple months. Uh, and this was the year before the lockout. So this was the Oh three Oh four season. Every team was making plans for the lockout at that time. If you recall, pretty much everybody knew they were going to miss some time that year. 
Um, so a job actually opened up that fall in uh, the ECHL and I didn't know a whole, I knew the league, but I didn't know a whole lot about the ECHL, uh, at the time and, and talked to David and a few people that I knew. And they said, if you can get a full-time job, that's paid, take it. Um, and, cause we're not going to have anything next year. We're going to be cutting staff. So, uh, I ended up moving to New Jersey, uh, kind of sight unseen and, uh, and worked for the ECHL there. Uh, for three years. That was a seven day a week job, had to be in the office every day during the season. Uh, so it was an, it was, it was definitely a grind. I loved doing it. It was a great introduction into pro hockey. Um, but you got to grind away if you want to work in this league, if you don't have the, uh, the player background, really, you don't have that leg up and that institutional knowledge uh, that those people do uh, and that they've earned over time. Um, so, I, you know, I went from there, I went to the American hockey league, a similar role, uh, in hockey operations, handling all the contracts, all the supervised games uh, from an officiating standpoint. Um, did a lot of work with our collective bargaining agreement with, between us and the PHPA. Uh, and then just made lots of contacts around the National Hockey League because, as you know, most general managers in the American Hockey League are an assistant general manager, or at least a, a position of influence with an NHL club. So, um, from there, ultimately, the Oilers were moving their team out of Springfield, Massachusetts uh, and putting down roots in Oklahoma City. Uh, and I had heard they were looking for a, a general manager. And I threw my name into the hat, not thinking I would would get a call back even necessarily. Um, but I ended up having a great conversation with Tambi and, and was fortunate enough to get hired by a great organization like the Oilers. So, you know, it's a lot of years building up to it. It's a lot of hours uh, moving around to places that, uh, that you weren't expecting necessarily um, and, uh, and just trying to grind away and, and make some contacts and, and put in some time. And uh, ultimate goal, obviously, to come up to the National Hockey League and try and win a Stanley Cup. Bill, obviously, as, as an assistant GM, you're not just a capologist. You do a lot of pro scouting. But for today, for capologist one-on-one, I kind of want to focus more about just the salary cap, especially because this year it looks like right now like there could be 10 to 12 teams who start the season in LTIR. And, and there's a difference before, like, being in LTIR, like in Edmonton, you're a team because of Smith and Kleppbaum, you're going to be in LTIR before day one of the regular season. Can you explain kind of in simple terms to to the diehard fans, what's the difference? What's the challenge of being in LTIR before the season begins? Yeah. So the way that we've, that we've positioned our, our LTIR and our cap really uh, for the last couple of years, since Oscar Clefbaum has been on LTI uh, essentially at the beginning of the season, before you submit your season opening roster uh, to the NHL um, you know, the cap is going to be 82 five this year. So you can submit your roster with all your players included. And, and if the cap is at 82.5 or below, you're cap compliant. Um, and in that, in this case, we could do that um, and have Oscar Clefbaum and Mike Smith be included in that 82.5. And then after the first day of the regular season, we could uh, invoke LTI on them. Uh, and then we would have their cap space to use. Um, the the negative to that, or the reason we have not done that uh, over the past couple of years, uh, is because that only then allows us to spend their money in season, uh, rather out of se- rather than spending it out of season. So what we've basically done is we've taken the eighty two five cap and we've added uh, Clefbaum's four million and we've added uh, Smith's two million. 
Um, and we're basically going to run our team on, uh, let's call it a, an $88.5 million cap. Uh, but by doing that, we are invoking LTI on those players prior to submitting our season opening roster, uh, which, which basically means that when we set our roster on opening day and whatever number we're at on our cap, that's our cap for the year. So if we submit a roster with 23 players, 23, let's call them healthy players, uh, and, and we've spent uh, 88 and a half, uh, which means we've fully used our LTI space, um, then we do not have any extra room to call a player up during the season. Uh, whereas if you invoke it after the regular season begins and you've got that $6 million there that you could do afterwards, you could trade for a $6 million player. You can recall players up to the value of $6 million, uh, et cetera. So what we chose to do is, is really spend that money in the off season, um, try and have $82.5 million of healthy bodies on our roster when our season begins uh, and go from there. We feel it gives us um, the best opportunity to put the best team on the ice right from day one. Um, and obviously the, the negative to that is it doesn't allow much flexibility in season. Obviously, if somebody else gets hurt and they go on LTI during the year, you might open up some cap space. Um, but other than that, we're, it's going to be tight for the whole year. And I think there's going to be a, a whole bunch of other teams in a, in a similar boat as ours um, with this cap just not rising very much year to year right now. Do you talk to other teams, capologists, about this challenge or is that is that frowned upon? Uh, I, I say we we would talk in generalities on different challenges that we have. I don't think any team is really talking to another team about their specific situation and what you would do, what you wouldn't do. Um, though we're all very cordial with each other and we've got great relationships with each other because uh, we, we all respect the job that each other has to do for their teams. We're all still competitors and we don't really want to tip off uh, the other side on what we're doing or what we're thinking. Um, you could be in an offer sheet scenario. You could be talking through some things. You might have a couple extra things on the go, whether it be trade signings um, that they may be able to read into if you start presenting situations to them. Um, so I think in your, sometimes you'll look back at things that teams have done and you might talk about, uh, those things after the situation, uh, happens. Uh, but usually you won't, uh, you won't really give any details away as you're going through it. Uh, but you might, you might talk to people afterwards and say, Hey, that was interesting. What you did, uh, when you invoked LTI on this player, you made that trade and you opened up some cap space, you know, what were you thinking when you did that? And how'd you come up with that idea? Different things like that. Now, for your team or any team that's in a situation where you're starting the season in LTIR, there is the chance to make a trade to acquire a player who's going to be on LTIR if you can trade out somebody with salary. Otherwise, it doesn't really benefit you. Like if you're six million in LTIR and suddenly you get in into eight, if you haven't freed up any actual cap space of 82 of the healthy body, 82 million for the healthy bodies, it doesn't help you, correct? Correct. Yes. And even in season, you have to be able to account for those players. If you traded for a player that was on LTI with another team, they have to fit onto your roster, um, onto your active roster before you place them on LTI. So acquiring players uh, that are on LTIR in general is not beneficial. There are a few certain situations, usually in the off season, um, where it could be beneficial to maximizing your off season cap space. Uh, 
Um, but those are few and far between. Uh, but there have been a couple cases where teams have taken advantage of that. So you had mentioned earlier that uh, because you start any team this year, and I was looking, uh, you know, at Cap Friendly or Puckpedia, and you know, they, they're they're pretty close to accurate as far as where the teams sit. And you know, right now there's like ten or twelve teams over. So you're gonna you're as the capologist, Bill, for your team. You literally sit there with the calculator and that final day to say, okay. Here's the players we want because we want to get as close as possible. You don't want to be at 81.5 million right. and then get into LTI because basically you would lose a million. So you've got to get as close. You and every team in the league has to be as close to 82.5 million. And, and so that might be some maneuvering where we see teams have guys on the opening day roster for one day that we might not expect just because it pushes you right to the limit. Yeah, 100%. And, and the difficulty with that is you know, we plan out a bunch of scenarios and then reality happens. You know, you, you go into training camp thinking, OK, these 23 players are probably going to be on our team or it might be between, you know, there might be two players battling for a spot, three players battling for a spot. So you have all your cap scenarios uh, sorted out in those cases, but then injuries happen in training camp. And I believe it was last year we had a we had a scenario where our capture point on LTI was going to be, I think we had it within five or seven thousand dollars of maxing out, which is really, really good. Um and and we had an injury in the last preseason game that that disrupted that and we ended up capturing I think about a hundred thousand dollars. So it it made a difference and that's a hundred thousand dollars we didn't have to use in the season at that point. So um, you plan for all scenarios. You try and make sure that you've got a couple outs for yourself in, in worst case scenarios. Um, but until you really see what happens through the eight preseason games, um, really you're, you're crossing your fingers, hoping that you stay healthy uh, and going from there. Now, part of your job is you have to crunch the numbers for today, but you also have to have part of you that's looking ahead to next season and probably two years down the road and two years down the road, there seems to be maybe some breathing room coming, you know, uh, speculation that, you know, the cap might go anywhere from eight to 10 million, but next year's probably only a million again. How do you balance that? Like how often are you, are you, and let's just use a spreadsheet because most people can visualize mm -hmm. a spreadsheet. Yep. How often is that thing changing and upgrading? And how many years down the road is a realistic look at for a capologist? Is it three? Is it five? Yeah, I think, well, for, for the, the majority of your contracts are not long-term. Now, right now we do have some guys signed up long-term. Obviously we've got Nuge and, and Hyman and Campbell and, and Nursey uh, and some guys like that. And, and Connor's got four years, Leon's got three years left. So, um, so we have most of our plan laid out for the next three or four years. Um, usually we're right now, especially with the cap, not going up significantly. Um, our planning year to year is really, um, you know, it's going up a million dollars. It's going up a million dollars. Don't expect the cap to go up more than a million dollars for the next few years. Um, because if you remember a couple of years ago, we thought it was going to go up four or 5 million and, uh, and then COVID happened. So we don't want to project and plan as if that cap is going to go up significantly. Uh, we certainly don't want to project that too early, though we are optimistic that at some point in the next couple of years, it will. Um, so I think for us, we project out two to three years. Uh, with a with a long term look, but we're not quite as focused on it. We obviously want to make sure that we're structuring things properly um, from our cap standpoint, from our finance standpoint. Um, but really, two to three years, especially as the cap has not gone up significantly in recent uh, in the last couple of years. So that's what we look at. We look at that especially when we're looking at trades. 
We're looking at signing players long-term, you know, how is their contract going to affect somebody else that might be up on our team in two years uh, or other free agents, other restricted free agents, arbitration cases. These are the things that we try and project out and, and put a realistic number on, uh, on where we think these players are going to land. Um, you know, we could, we can put low numbers on it and, and hope and cross our fingers, but uh, especially with the RFAs with arbitration cases, um, you know, the number is going to be the number and, and you're going to have to come in. You can't be unreasonable uh, because we do have that process to make sure they get paid fairly uh, and within the norms of the league. Now, speaking of arbitration, as you pr- as you plan your case, very few of them actually go to arbitration. Mm-hmm. How many hours does it, ca- does it take to come up with an arbitration defense? And usually how many comparables are you using as a team? I know a lot of these never even get made public. The other, the, yeah. a lot of the stuff settles, but is it three players? Is it four per team? Like what's a, an average arbitration and how long does it take to compile ultimately? And you never use it. Yeah. I mean, really you're starting that anytime you have an RFA with arbitration rights, I'd say in about January, you're starting to build your case um, really, and it sounds bad, but against them, right? You're trying to get the best deal. Um, and I think that's a big reason why most of these don't go to arbitration is, is you're going to say things in your brief uh, that the player, you know, the player doesn't want to read and, and you don't really want to tell them. Um, you're going to tell them why they're not as good as they think they are. They're going to tell you why they're better than you think they are um, in those cases. And, and really, when you're trying to build a team and you're trying to build relationships with players and long-term relationships, the arbitration process isn't ideal for, for us or for them. And, and I think in most cases, cooler heads prevail and you're usually close enough on a number uh, that ne- neither side wants to go through that arbitration uh, case and that procedure um, as it isn't healthy. And as we've seen, most players that do go through that aren't with their team within about a year or two. Um, so, you know, we've found with our guys, especially, obviously we had two this year, um, you know, we're building that case up. It, it's, it's a lot of hours. Um, you know, we use, we use a, a law firm that does a lot of these, uh, as well across the league. Um, and there's a few different law firms that teams use, uh, and they help build the case with us. And really we collaborate on it. We exchange notes with them, you, you know, it's always good to have another perspective when you're going through these things. Sometimes we can be in such a silo uh, within our own team and our own thoughts uh, that it's good to get an outside perspective on it as well. So uh, we go through this, we build the brief with them. Um, you know, we're in touch constantly and we keep them up to date on how the negotiations are going, and where they're going. And, you know, sometimes you're telling them to pause and, uh, and we're going to pull back on our brief a bit when you think things are going well. And sometimes you got to rev them up again. Uh, but you're building that brief throughout the year. You're finding comparables. How many comparables do you find? Really, it depends on the data and and how many comparables you can find when you use uh, reasonable ranges in the statistics. Um, typically, there's going to be three or four, I would say. Um, but oftentimes, you will find one comparable that is, is just a mirror image of your player. Um, and both sides usually know it, and they get settled as a result. Um, other times, there isn't a great comparable. There's, there's guys far and wide. And then you just try and find the range of reasonable with the agent, with the player on, on what makes sense for both sides, whether it's 
uh, doing a multi-year deal or just going through the one-year deal on what you think you would have gotten in arbitration had you gone through the procedure. Currently in arbitration, my understanding is analytics doesn't play a big factor in, in if the arbitrator was to rule. It's more about points, time on ice, stuff like that. Do you think that would change moving forward as as especially these companies that NHL teams are using or are presenting more analytical data? Do you think that changes or because the arbitrator isn't well versed, it's likely going to be simple statistics? Yeah, I think until the arbitrators are more well versed in the analytics uh, and the advanced stats, it, it's going to stick to the to the simple statistics and the, and the normal statistics that everybody's used to. Uh, I think they they give you the reality of, of what has actually happened. Um, you know, there's, there's expected goals for expected goals against different things like that. They're expected, but they're not what happened. So I think for an arbitrator, when they're trying to find black and white, uh, they have, they have to look at what's actually happened in the season or in the previous season. Uh, and while we know every situation is different for players, a player on Edmonton Oilers is different than a player on the Anaheim Ducks is different than a player on the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, and what they have around them. So, um, generally, I think they're just going to go back to the, the regular statistics that have been used for years. Uh, it also goes back to uh, past practice and uh, principles that have been laid out in these arbitration cases and rulings in the past. So I think for the analytics to jump into the arbitration cases and, and really carry some weight, that's going to take some time before we get to that part, get to that point. Bill, we always like to end our interview with rapid fire. The only rule is you have to answer the question. All right. All right. So we'd like to have a little bit of fun. So let, let's say when you avoid arbitration, what's the cocktail of choice? Diet Pepsi. I'm not a drinker. So diet Pepsi. Diet, ooh, diet Pepsi. <laughs> yeah. uh, do you like float drinks? Float like a root beer float? Yeah. No. No, no, leave the ice cream. Leave. I love ice cream. Leave it on the side, though. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you've scouted a lot. Best press box food in the NHL. Ooh, probably Chicago. Chicago always puts on a nice spread. Yeah. And what? Any, any favorite in Chicago? Ooh, I don't. They just have lots of everything. They got a whole spread up there in the press box. It's always okay. pretty nice up there. Yeah. Uh, are, are you a healthy eater, or do you dabble in the candy in the press box? Uh, I wouldn't say I'm a healthy eater, but I'm not a big candy popcorn. That's the weakness for me in the press box for oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, negotiating contracts. You, is, is it obvious? Are there certain agents that you negotiate better with in the organization? Then you guys will know that. So maybe Ken deals with other guys or Keith Gretzky. Does, does each organization, do you find that there's certain agents that you have a better relationship with? Is that pretty obvious in negotiations? Yeah, I think a lot of the time it's 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 who has the best relate. You know, it depends on the player and the relationship, but who has the best relationship with the agent? Um, oftentimes, that person will take over the negotiation or do that negotiation, um, and it depends on the player as well and and how you acquired the player and different things like that. So, um, you know, Ken's pretty good about uh, if it's somebody that I know well, he'll have me do the negotiation. If it's if it's somebody that he knows, he's going to do the negotiation, and I'll I'll supply him some stats and, and some background work uh, to give them a little bit of ammo on our side. So um, it, it just seems to be situational and, and case by case in our, in our organization, at least. Was there an ever an arbitration case that you wanted to go through just to present your case? <laughs> no, I don't think you ever want to go through that. I, I think we've had a couple interesting uh, briefs that we've put together. Uh, but at the end of the day, I don't think you ever want your player to see that. And and we don't really want to see theirs. Uh, and it's always better for the relationship 
um, to settle these things before you get to that, before you get to that spot. If you could change one thing in the salary cap, what would it be? Uh, one thing in the salary cap that we would change, what would it be? That's a good question. You know, we've just lived with it for so long. What would I change? I think there's been some interesting ideas out there. Uh, they completely take away from the, uh, the entire concept of the 50, 50 revenue split. Uh, but I, one thing I've always thought is interesting is, is having a homegrown player that doesn't count against your cap. Mm-hmm. That was an interesting idea. Yeah. Somebody brought up, um, whether or not that ever happens, I think that's going to be difficult when you're splitting revenue 50, 50 between the, the league and the players. Um, but that one I thought was interesting for a homegrown player. I'll present you my idea that I would like to see in the CBA, a maximum five-year contract for any player over the age of 28, I think it would benefit the players and the teams, less buyouts, less dead cap space. Do you think it's ever possible that could happen? Uh, I think it would be difficult to tag the the maximum term to an age. I, th- I think the union would probably not like that rule. Would it would it save teams from from doing some silly things? Probably. Um, it would, it would give us a reason to not be able to offer a six, seven, eight year deal. Um, but I think anytime you're limiting players, rights, players, abilities, those things are difficult to get through for sure. Bill, uh, best of luck in the coming weeks, uh, getting right to the 82.5 threshold. Uh, see if you can get better than five grand that you were close to last year. I guess <laughs> we'll that's the goal. Best. Yeah, exactly. We'll do our best. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for uh, joining us on the DFO rundown. Thanks, Jason. Good talking to you. That was Bill Scott, Frank. Uh, Interesting. The one rule he'd like change in the CBA have basically like a franchise player, a a drafted player from your organization. That's being talked about a lot that, you know, I wonder at any serious level. Yeah, I know, but it's been bantied about like, that's the one thing that I've heard other people you've talked to over the, that's the one thing people would are interested in. I want, like, obviously it's not happening in the current CBA and I don't know if it would ever happen. I don't think it'll ever happen. Definitely would be a discussion point for sure. Right. It'd be interesting. I just, I don't think there's any appetite for any, I shouldn't say any, some owners have the appetite, but for anyone to take money out of the system that would make it anything less than a 50, 50 split. Yeah, no, that's totally fair. Well, Frank, if anything at any point, Jay, it's going to, you know, the conversation at some point in the next CBA to be had will be owners taking more than a 50 50 split. Yeah. Good luck. It's always going down for the players. It was at 57 in the last CBA, down to 50. It'll keep going down. Frank, have yourself an awesome week. We'll talk to you Friday. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Cervalli and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? But there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount. And that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first. And you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.